All right, so as we gather together, it's been a busy weekend for me already. I had the privilege of running up to northern Indiana um, and speaking at a conference on Friday. Um, it, it, they they um, call this conference Chasing After God, and as I was listening um, this morning in the first service, actually at the run-through, um, I don't know if you know it or not, but I believe that uh, the song that uh, Pastor Jeff was doing, Chasing After You, that's the one he wrote. Um, I think it comes up on the screen, but anyway, it just occurred to me that that's a song that we should be sharing with another vineyard so that they can do Chasing After God, and they can do that song, and how cool would that be? But uh, it, was a, it was a great opportunity. It was a, a wonderful uh, time with the Lord, um, and here's the deal, and this is why I'm, I'm even talking about it. I mean, we got to see I mean, a significant number of people got saved for the first time, but here's the deal. The people came into that room, and people were asking, like, what do you think it is? And it's like, it was a move of God. That, that You can't say it. it. wasn't Joe. It wasn't. They had a different speaker every night, kind of like what we used to think about, um, like um, our annual meeting or, you know, people would say you know, our, our revivals or something like that. Um, but it was one of those things where we came in anticipating. We came in expecting God to say something to me. And I, and I think that is key to just walking with God. It's like, did you come in here for a cup of coffee? Did you come in here to check off going to church on your list? Did you come in here because, well, well, you know, we got it. Did you come in here to serve? Did you come in because it's your day? I, I just want to encourage you that I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, whether it was one of the, the worship songs that we sang, that if you'll come in here expecting, like, hey, God, I know you're going to say something to me, but I need you to make it really loud can I, so I can know what it is. And, and give God, a, I mean, just, just, he wants to talk to you. And I honestly believe that's why so many people at those meetings on, on Friday night or that meeting on Friday night came forward and they came forward just because they felt a call to go into ministry. And it was like there was more than 25 people up there on that side of the stage when the pastor got up and said, He's, Pastor Joe's praying for these people. I want to pray for these people over here. And it just was crazy. And they were 18 all the way to 75. They, they said Al came up, Al's 75 years old. I don't know what his real name was, but then it was like the Lord was speaking to people. I believe that's what we want to do. So let's jump into this. We're in the sixth session together, sixth sermon on Nehemiah. We're looking at what happens when the walls around us are crumbling down and, and uh, things are going crash and, and, and our condition is in bad or ill repair. Okay, let's, let's just say that. Things aren't good in our lives, okay? It might be something that you're hiding. It might be something you're addicted to. It might be something's going on. But whatever it is, it is keeping you from enjoying the Jerusalem with the walls up and the gates up and living in the presence of God. Somewhere, somehow, this is what's going on in our lives. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked about the idea that we've got to resist the enemy. Today, I want to use the word because um, um, we, we have to have an alliteration, so everything has to begin with R, okay? So um, today, we're talking about refuse. Now, those of you that are worship leader, I mean, uh, small group leaders, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because, oh yeah, this is refuse week, right? This is refuse week, and I want to talk about that. Let's jump into Nehemiah chapter 6, and let's see what the scripture says, and then when we're done seeing what the scripture says, let's stop and say, okay, Lord, now what do you want to say to me personally? Because that's the way we need to look at this. Chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, so there's more than three, okay? Those are the three we're naming because they're leaders, all right? Okay, they came to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that point I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem, the Arab, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. 
And I'm just going to tell you, when I was studying for this message, and I got to that, I can't tell you what that word means, but I can tell you this. When I was sitting at my desk, and, and I got to the place where I was reading and trying to define where different things are, and it says, come to the meeting out on the plains of, oh no, immediately my head said, oh no, <laughs> Nehemiah, don't, don't do that. Right? That's what we're saying. Oh, no. It's like when uh, the Lone Ranger used to say, I'm going to go into town. Okay? And then Tonto would say, no, Kimasabi, don't do that. And he would do it anyway. Okay? So I'm reading this and I'm thinking, it says, Nehemiah, come meet us on the plane of Ono. And I'm thinking, oh, no. But sometimes we need to read that when the enemy is speaking to us because I'm talking about um, the, the idea to refuse the enemy. But I want you to know this. The enemy is, here comes another uh, alliteration, relentless. He is relentless in your life. And so now he wants Nehemiah to come out on the plane of, oh, no. And that's the way we need to read that. On the plane of, oh, no. Or it needs to be, he's telling him to come out on the plane of, oh, no. See? Because the enemy is the enemy, accusing us day and night. So they said, come out on the, uh, to the, one of the villages on the plane of, oh, no. And they were scheming to harm him. Or harm me, because so, Nehemiah is writing it. So he says, I sent messengers, messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Now look at this. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. You don't have to write a new answer every time the enemy comes at you. It's the same answer. Jesus said... That's your answer. You don't have to come up with a different one, a better one, one that makes him stop coming back. Just keep saying, Jesus answered. Then it says in verse 5, then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid. Do you understand that? Now we've got one of the governors that's supposed to be providing the materials for Nehemiah to rebuild the wall and all the stuff. Now he's sending his personal aid. And that's like when he comes in, he says, listen, my boss says you will come to the plain of Ono. And you will have a meeting with him. Because that's what we're looking at here. Don't say, oh, he sent a little guy. Okay? And don't think of, of, of Nehemiah as, well, remember, he's just a little cupbearer. Remember, cupbearer is going to turn into the governor of Judah. That's how in tune he is with Artaxerxes. And now we've got this governor sending him his aid. He said, then the, the fifth time Sanballat sent me his aid with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. And what that means is that that letter could have been read by anybody on this guy's journey. He can just hand it out and keep telling everybody, this is what my boss is saying. This is what my boss is saying. And so uh, it goes on to say that uh, in his hand, it was an unsealed letter, and this is what it said. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true. The Arab says it is true. Okay? Really? That's like the devil coming and whispering in your ear, and the demon coming to your other ear and going, hey, he said it, so it's got to be true. That's what the enemy's doing to you right now. He says, um, and so it's got to be true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're uh, about to become their king, and you've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. This is the proclamation that he says they're going to make. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. So what he's saying is, you're going to have somebody announce you as king in Jerusalem, and you get everybody to come together to confer about basically whether or not you want to be uh, in servitude to Artaxerxes. So Nehemiah says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making this up out of your head. 
You ever been at that end of a conversation? Where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that somebody is sticking a needle in your life somewhere and everything they are saying is fiction that's being written and there's nothing that you can say about it at this point. You just have to endure it because that's what's going on in Nehemiah's life. He says you are just making up stories out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed, but I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, and I'm getting these names messed up as much as I tried to, to say them over and over. But Mehedabel, and, and this guy, Shemaiah, he was a shut-in at his home, and he said, Nehemiah, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you should be afraid because there are assassins coming. They're coming over the wall. This isn't a game on your Xbox, Nehemiah. This is for real. These are assassins. And look at Nehemiah's response. But I said, should a man like me run away? Nehemiah is saying, let him come. Let him kill me right here in front of God and everybody. Let him do it. Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life, his own life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because, because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by not doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to, re, to discredit me. And then he goes into a prayer. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. And basically he's saying, just kill them all, let God sort them out. That's what he's saying. That's what's going on in our story this morning. It is absolutely crazy. The plain of Ono is 37 miles east-northeast of Jerusalem. That's where it is. It's also called the Valley of Craftsmen. It's a logical place if you're rebuilding Jerusalem and you're going to rebuild the temple to go to the Valley of Craftsmen where there are schools and things like that where people learn how, they, they learn how to do the trades. And so it would be very normal for Nehemiah to say, hey, send up a messenger, go up there, get me another woodworker, get me another gold worker, get me another silversmith. Hey, we're going to hang these gates back in place and we're going to need some hinges. And so they didn't have the loaves that were pre-made hinges. They would send and say, listen, this is about what these gates weigh and we're going to need some hinges. So get us some hinges. So go to the... So it would be a, a, an appropriate thing for um, them to say, hey, Nehemiah, why don't you come up to the Valley of Craftsmen on the plain of Ono? Why don't you come up, up here? But the same people that wrote that in that book wrote that most of the people that write commentaries, the theologians believe very much so, that the goal was to kidnap Nehemiah. See, Ono was 37 miles. 20 miles is a day's walk. Okay, you walk, you know, two, three miles an hour. You walk eight um, hours. You walk 20, 24 um, miles, depending on how fast you walk, when you slow down, how many times you had to stop, pull over, and find a restroom, all those kind of things, Right? So you walk 20 miles, they consider that a day's walk. 37 would be a day and a half plus a little bit. So he's going to be more than a day and a half work from the work that God called him to do. Uh, a day and a half walk from the work that God called him to do. And at that point, they want to kidnap him, that's great. But there's a gut check going on inside of Nehemiah. And I just want to tell you that when there's a gut check, you should listen to it. If you're walking with Jesus and you're in the right relationship, and I'm not asking you if you're perfect, I'm just saying that if there's something going on in your life and you're walking after God and you get a gut check, you ought to stop and say, I got a gut check. What's up? 
What's going on? I keep waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and if one of you is waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, please let me know, because I keep checking on Facebook, social media, and it's like, is somebody hurting? Is somebody in the hospital? Is something going on that I need to be praying about? But there's no reason for me to be waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, except I learned this morning that I might be just getting old, and that's what it is. <laughs> and it's entirely probable and possible. But at the end of the day, I still believe that when I get a gut check, when I wake up, that the Lord is doing something that's going on. And so we understand that these guys were coming after a Nehemiah, and they sent the message five times. They didn't send it one time. They didn't accept one no. They didn't accept two no's. They didn't accept three no's. They, they didn't wait until they accepted six no's, if I got my math right. They sent it, and then they sent it five more times. Six times, it appears to me, that uh, Nehemiah had to send the same message back and say, get off my back, I've got work to do. And, you know, somewhere in that I would have said, you know, you guys won't let up, I think you're criminals. But you've got to understand that the enemy's coming after you. He's coming after you. And I want to talk to you about the fact that the enemy's relentless. He won't quit. He's not going to let up. And I don't know what you're going through in here, and I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm just, I just want to encourage you to stop and say, if there's things going on in your life, Maybe it's time to stop and say, I didn't just run over a, a nail and get a flat tire. Maybe the enemy is coming after me. My wife and I, when we launched the church 13 years ago with a group of people, that one week, the dryer broke, the, washer, the dishwasher machine broke, then the um, vacuum sweeper broke, and then something else that was electronic broke. It was just like every day something broke that week, and it was like, okay, we did not buy them all at the same time. Something's up. And we got together and we prayed against the enemy. We did. And it stopped. Other things didn't break. And so that's what we, we pressed into. But we've got to understand this. When the enemy comes, he's coming like Tobias, Sanballat, and Geshem, okay? He's not coming with ears. He's not coming with a tail. He's coming as an authority. He's coming as somebody with position. He's coming as somebody with a right. He's coming as somebody beautiful. He's coming as somebody rich. He's coming as somebody that wants to give you something. He's coming as somebody that wants to whisper in your ear. He is coming at you, and sometimes it's in a manner that makes you want it. Paul said to church in Corinth, no wonder, for Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Not the, not, it's Halloween. That's not the devil. That is not the devil. That's Hollywood that you're watching. And, and I'm, I'm not watching with you. That does, I don't need, no. That's not me, okay? I'm not here to throw rocks. I'm just saying, rethink it. But I'm not, that's no. That's not the devil. That's not how spiritual warfare works. He comes at you with a raise. He comes at you with a bigger house, a bigger job, a more important place to be, a bigger title, a prettier woman that wants to be your wife, a prettier man that wants to steal you from your husband. He comes at you with position. He comes at you with title. He comes at you with anything that will distract you from the kingdom of God and the work that you've been called to. And I don't believe all of you have been called to stand on a soapbox and preach on a street corner, but you have been called to raise your children in a godly manner. You've been called to build your marriages in a godly manner. You've been called to be an employee at work in a godly manner. And the enemy will just come in there fishing with a little hook that makes it look a little bit better, and he'll whisper to you, and we're going to talk about that. Peter said, be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, uh, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to desire, and it's your responsibility, Peter says, to resist him. 
standing firm in the faith because you know that people all over the world are being tempted just like this. They're undergoing these sufferings. Paul says in, the, in 1 Corinthians, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anybody that claims to be a brother or sister or is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater. So what he's saying is these people come in and, and they're saying, no, it's okay if you sleep around together. You know, I love Jesus too and we can just move in together and we can just do this together and, and we can just, it, it, you know, every, God loves all the sinners just the same. It's like time out. God says stop sinning. And when somebody comes in, whispers in your ear like that, you know what you've got to just say? Get behind me, Satan! When Peter came to Jesus, and Jesus was going to do a good thing, but it was going to cost him his life. And he said, boys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die for you. It's going to be great. Not that it was going to be great. I added that part. And Peter stepped up and said, Lord, no! And he said, this is not how it's going to go. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine going to work tomorrow and saying, wow, the Lord is doing something great in my life, and this is awesome. And when your friend walks up and goes, no, this is not the Lord. And you turn around and say, get behind me, Satan. And everybody in the office looks over to see who just said that out loud. It sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But you've got to understand that voices are coming at you from all over the place. And I'm not saying you've got to be mean and nasty, but can you imagine if you just said that out loud at the office, at work, what would happen? And some of you, your brain's going, yeah, I'll be fired. No, I don't think so. I actually think what would happen is you'd have more spiritual conversations for the next week than you've ever had in your life because you're too scared to open your mouth and talk about Jesus out loud. And people would say, what was that all about? And you'd get to say, Peter came up to Jesus one time. <laughs> And then you can finish that out and say, where does God fit into your life? And you would be surprised at the conversations that would begin to, to go and the manner in which the kingdom of God would begin to grow. But this is how the enemy is going to do it. He's going to pervert the word of God. Did God really say? We've heard that before. Did God really say that? See, that's how the enemy's coming at you. He's not swinging a club. He's not possessing your dog and making your dog eat you. Frank will win. Um, that was subliminal, wasn't it? I don't think that came across, but anyway, that's not what the devil's going to do. You're not going to go home and, and find your neighbor crawling on the ceiling in your house. That's not what's going to happen. I'm not saying the devil's never done things that he possessed people to do. I'm just saying this side of Jesus Christ, it's not working for him. And if he wants to steal, kill, and destroy the children of God, he's going to do it by enticing them away. He's going to make you want to go after him. His whole method is to get you to question God, question his love for you, question his purpose for you, question his justice for you, question his attention on you, question his provision for you. The enemy is just trying to get you to question all these things so that you'll give up on God, you'll give up on your marriage, you'll give up on your church, you'll give up on your job because you don't understand what God is doing as he works on your behalf. You know, it's kind of crazy because we live in a microwave world and we want God to do the things, right? You know, Moses did not get started till he was 80 years old. I mean, I know the first 40 he lived in the palace and the next 40 he was a, a shepherd, but he didn't get started till he was 80. Man, when I was preaching Friday night to that group that was in there, and I was talking about people going all in, and it's time to start chasing God. You know, so many people that around us are like, man, when I turn 75, I just need to, I need to retire. I need to kick back. There's no kickback in the Bible. There's no put your feet up. I mean, you can go fishing because there's a lot of fishing. You can own a boat because a couple of the disciples owned a boat. But I'm just telling you that there's no, like, don't do anything in the kingdom of God. 
And God is waiting for people to get involved. And I challenged people um, Friday night that if you're 18, if you're 15, if you're whatever teen, if you're 75 or 80, it is time for you to answer the call of God in your life to go into full-time ministry. Not that everybody has to. But there's a lot of people ignoring that call. And it's time. And when I was having a, a breakfast before I left the next day, the pastor was going, you're never going to believe what happened last night. And I said, Jesus. And he said, 75-year-old guy walked up, bawling and crying. We'll call him Al. And Al just said, I know I'm supposed to be involved in ministry. I don't know what to do. And it's like, we've been waiting on Al to come forward for a long time. Some of you are in here going, yeah, but it's too late for me. Dude, it's time to get started. Until you're done breathing, it is not too late for you. Most of the time, we're just too scared. We're too scared to do it. Look at Adam and Eve. The devil said to them, you will certainly not die. Come on. God knows that when you eat from that fruit, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And she ate the fruit and gave it to her husband who was there with her also. Jesus himself said, listen, be careful because you need to be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. These are spiritual leaders that are supposed to be teaching them to follow God. And, and he, they're teaching them not to. And they're fighting amongst themselves over just something as simple as the resurrection. That was the biggest dispute between those two groups of people besides the Hellenization of the Sadducees. It's like, wow. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he says, your, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little bit of yeast leavens the whole batch? Get rid of the old yeast, yeast so that you may, be doing, or you may be new unleavened batch of bread just as you really are, for Christ is your Passover lamb. And then Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season, be prepared out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears long to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Man, if you want to know what the Bible says about the Bible says, just read it. Because the simplest reading is the actual answer. Because God's not trying to hide stuff from people. He's trying to reveal it to them. Hence, we have a book called Revelation. Scripture tells us over and over to the one who perseveres or be strong and courageous or trust in the Lord. But man, we're getting to the place where we're grabbing these pages and we're trying to split them down so that we can get away with stuff. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus himself, when he was being tempted, his answer was, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written. And then we're at the place in, in a world that says, well, I know that's what it says, but it's not possible. And usually that means because we can't figure out how God would have done it. Well, because you're not God. <laughs> that should work for you. I can't figure out how God did it because I'm not God. But that was, that's what brings us to the place of saying, but what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? Because that's the way you answer what it is that God wants and what it is that God's doing in your life. I had a little young lady um, in high school surrendered her life to Jesus and said, I just want to know what God's will for my life is. I need you to understand God's will for my life is an inappropriate question. I want to know what God's will is is the appropriate question. The question is, and where do I fit into that? Want me to tell you what God's will is? The scripture says, see how I did that? I'm a professional. The Bible says it is God's will that none perish and everyone come to the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's God's will. Now the question is, how does that apply to you at work tomorrow? 
How does that apply to you with your children? How does that apply to you in your relationship with your, your wife? How does it apply to you in relationship to your money? How does it apply to you in your relationship to your neighbor? See, you just keep asking, how do I deal with this anxiety, frustration, or anger in my life as a Christian in relationship to God wants this person saved? Do I be more graceful? Do I be more gentle? Do I have to distance myself from them like Paul said because they claim to be followers, but they're telling me it's okay to sleep around? That's your clue. Run. Run from that relationship right there. But the devil is relentless. He's absolutely relentless. Believe it or not, that's an appropriate, that's a, this is, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? An appropriate exegesis. Let the Bible define what the Bible says, which is why I try to make that the point. So let me just share these things with you. There are always people that are ready to criticize you. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, they come in. I, don't, I, I really don't care. I don't know why they had to put in there what, what uh, people group they were, but at the end of the day, they're, they're chipping away at you. They're chipping away at you. They're never going to stop. Okay? There's always going to be people ready to criticize. You know, it, you know it's, that, it's that person when you say, man, man, my wife and I, we did this you know, thing yesterday. And you say, you hear them say, oh, that was so great, but just stop. That was so great. Let that be the, a, a full sentence. That was so great. Good job. Way to be. I'm not saying that there's not a place for critique. That needs to be held. Like if you've got a special relationship with somebody, with me, man, please come sit down and say, you know what would make things go a little better around here? That's great. I don't need the sandwich cookie thing, the Oreo, whatever they call that psychology. You know, it's like say something chocolate, say something you know, vanilla, then say something chocolate. And it will squeeze together and they'll swallow it and it'll be good. Okay? I, I, I'm not, I'm just like, just cut to the chase. Okay? It gets me in a lot of trouble, but just cut to the chase. I'm good with that. At the end of the day, you know who it is that says you're never good enough? You're never pretty enough. You're never smart enough. It just never stops. It doesn't matter what you do or how good you do it. And there comes a place where we've got to stop and we've got to say, the enemy is relentless. He's an accuser day and night. Book of Revelation says, Then I heard a, a, a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and his power and his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Jesus said that when he speaks lies, he speaks his normal language his common language, his truthful, his original, his being is nothing but lying. And that's all you're going to hear in his ear. The devil is relentless and he's going to attack your faith. He's going to attack your marriage. He's going to attack your sense of value. He's going to attack your position before God. And he is going to come after your success. That's what he's going to do. In uh, 2011 in Vineyard, I have permission to share this with you. Um, we had a lady that started attending here, her and her husband and their daughter started attending here. And I can remember a Baptist person told me, shared a prophecy with me, and I'm just, I'm going to say it again. If a Baptist person shares a prophecy with you, you had better listen. Because they don't believe in prophecy, they believe that the gifts have stopped. And it's like, hmm. You might say, well, not all of them, because I'm that way. You're not reformed if you're you know, not a dispensationalist, really. So anyway, but that being said, she called and she said, this is what I see. And she said, I see these monsters. One is um, sexual immorality, and the other one was pride. Um, and I see these monsters trying to keep people out of your church, and they're trying to keep people out of your church. She said, she said I just wanted to tell you that. I know it's weird, but I had the same dream three nights in a row. And so I began to tell people, if you're going to be a part of a church that gets active and starts actually trying to get people saved and doing things, then the enemy's coming after you. And then I knew that that's what was going on in my life with all my electronic things breaking that week. But check this out. 
This is what she said. I remember your sermon either one or two weeks into uh, our attending at your church, and she hadn't been there that long. She said, you said that we would face challenges in our upcoming week and that there are people in the church who will be there for us in the form of small groups. She said, um, that's paraphrasing it, of course. Um, it just so happens that on Friday, February 25th, my 15-year-old daughter was hospitalized and diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I had always been extremely, she had always been extremely healthy and had a complete physical in November the previous year, and this just came out of nowhere. And my husband and I have been devastated. I can't find words to express our pain, grief over our child. Our faith in God is and has always been huge. So we are praying and believing God for a work, to work a miracle in her life. Until then, we were praising him for all that he has been doing um, for us and your sermons and the church, and you've helped us so much in the following weeks. And so we might say in any given situation, okay, something went bad. The enemy, okay, let's just say it's the enemy. Something got difficult in their life, the enemy came across them. But her letter doesn't stop. I debated on telling you this next part, but our daughter has invited a friend to come with us to the vineyard. And about two weeks after my daughter's diagnosis, her friend was diagnosed with leukemia. Now I have your attention, don't I? At first, it was a little health issue. But now it's two in one situation. It says, I joked with my husband, and I said that we're not inviting anybody else to this church. And then she put in parentheses, I really was joking because I really needed some humor at that point in this letter. She said, I don't know why these events are happening, but I know that God always has a purpose and will turn all events for his good for his children, quoting a scripture out of the book of Romans. It's there. I'm just telling you that the battle that you and I are in is very, very real. And I need you to know that the enemy will come after you. Now, you don't have to focus on the enemy. You need to focus on the King of Kings, on the Lord of Lords, on the God who loved you, who died for you, who was raised from the dead and stole life back from the enemy, who will be bound up with chains and bound with hell and cast into the lake of fire, which is a third place or third being that we have to deal with, and they will be no more, and God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be incredible. That's the promise that I am building and establishing and running my life on. But I need you to know that if you're going to get involved like you're supposed to in the kingdom of God, then they have no business but to do something about it because they can't have you stealing the souls that they're trying to kill. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you start saving those people back, I promise you he will come. I love when I listen to Robbie Dawkins and he's telling his story and he says, you know, there are times in our life when the enemy's coming against us. He said, and it's just getting crazy in our house. And he said, we just begin to feel this oppression and we're at each other and bad things are happening. He said, and all of his kids are grown and they're all involved in, in a prophetic ministry. He said, and we get to that place and he said, and it's just getting out of hand and we get everybody together and we begin to pray and we say, devil, we're leaving the house and we're going to go see how many people we can get saved on the streets tonight. And they all go do it. And then they come back and say, and if you don't get out, we're going to go do it again. And they're going to do it again anyway. But they just get intense about doing the things of the kingdom of God until the oppression lets up. And he said, it lets up. It lets up. So understand this. Your enemy is relentless. The devil simply will not quit unless you do unless you do. When you feel like you surely don't have enough, God takes it and makes it into plenty, but you've got to give it to him. You are enough. You have enough to do the things that God tells you, asks of you, and he will be there to protect you. 
The scripture says in the feeding of the 5,000 that all he wants is for you to give it to him. You are the exact person in the exact place with the exact experiences that God needs for you to do the exact thing that he wants you to do. So many people I meet will say, this is what they'll say to me, I know, but what if I mess it up and as a result of that they go to hell? Do you really think you're that big? <laughs> that you can mess up the plan of God? Well, yeah, because I've seen it. No, you haven't. Because my God has already seen that and already done something on the other side of it and begun to work. Say, there's a place there where we begin to trust God. But we've got to stop saying, when I learn more, when I read more, when I understand more, when I have a bigger calling in my life, and we've got to just start doing it. Every one of you is in a place where God is waiting for you to give him that last little bit that you won't give him that is simply called courage and obedience. And you're willing to begin to ask, invite, or talk about your relationship to Jesus Christ. None, the second thing I want to share with you rather quickly. When you only listen to one voice, you never get the truth. When you are only going through life listening to what? You'll never get the truth listening to the devil. You have to listen to God. And thank goodness I'm a Trinitarian because that's three voices. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'll take all three of those. I'll get the truth. But if you're listening to the devil, you're not going to get the truth. Any more than when somebody comes running into my office and they say, this is what's going on in my marriage. My first thought is, I just need your spouse in here to tell me the correct side of it so that together, somewhere in, in, in that is the truth. It's never one way or the other. Okay? The scripture very clearly says in the book of Proverbs, the first one to plead his case seems right until his neighbor comes and examines it and begins to ask questions. See, that's, that's what begins to happen says, the one voice that complains about you, is that what you're listening to? Are you listening to the voice that keeps telling you you're not enough, you're not enough? Are you listening to the voice that complains to you, they're not enough? Look what's going on around here. That's called gossip, and that's what they're doing. Just, just kind of recognize that honesty is when I'm willing to recognize there's two sides to everything. Integrity is when I'm willing to own my part. So what voice are you listening to? Okay? Don't let me confuse you. What voice are you listening to? Because there's two sides to everything. We're going to skip that next slide. Okay? What I want to know is, are you walking with the voices that will pray with you and pray for you? Because it matters who you walk with. It matters who you walk with. Do the people you walk with exemplify a walk with Christ that you would like to um, have a part in? Do you see them building the kingdom of God with their lives, and do they cause you to get closer to Jesus, or do they tell you it's okay to drift away from Jesus? Surely God will understand. Surely it's okay. That's not sin anymore. All of those kind of things that I hear as a pastor, is that the voice that you're listening to in your head? Or are you listening to people that say, stay the course. It's okay. You're going to have to walk away from some relationships. It's going to be all right. Because those are the people that will truly bless your life because they care about you. They will pray for you, and they will pray with you. And finally, the last thing I want to share with you before we wrap this up is your goal should be to stay true to what God has asked of you. What has God asked of you? What has he invited you into that he wants you to be a part of? Deuteronomy 5 says, Therefore you shall be careful to do as your, the Lord your God has commanded you, and you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand. There are a million good things that we could be doing as a church. Right now, we're trying to stock the food pantry. We eventually would like to have clothes for people that need clothes. We're building a relationship with a local school. I got to 
jump onto. I was asked to be a part of a family resource council council. So I'm on that, the one of the school that we're partnering kind of with. But we can't pay utilities and buy houses for people and do all those kind of things. So we've got to bring it down and say, the last thing here, we've got to stay at what God called us to do. We can't turn to the right, can't turn to the left. We've got to press into it. The book of Hebrews says, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And he goes on to say, but my righteous one will live by faith. And let me just add, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you're not living in faith, the scripture says it's impossible for you to please God. And I take no pleasure in the one that shrinks back, but we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The word today is refuse. Want me to sum it up in a nutshell? Make it easier, a little more linear, a little more logical? All right, let me do it. Refuse to quit. Refuse to quit. That's what Nehemiah showed us. Refuse to quit. Stay the course, chase God, invest in your relationships, and work harder than the next guy. There, there is not a thing going on that I have seen recently. Uh, I saw something and read an article about quiet quitting. You know what that is? That is the exact opposite of what Jesus said to do when he said, if somebody asks you to go a mile, go the extra one. So when we take that and we say, Christian people, let's quiet quit. Welcome to the voice of hell speaking in your ear. That's the culture you live in in a very small, tiny way that slips in and you never give it a thought. Jesus said, go the extra mile. Nobody should work harder than you at work because you love Jesus. And if you work, you're doing it so, uh, doing so as to the Lord himself. So refuse to quit. Refuse to be alone. You've come in here, and I don't know how connected you are into this congregation, but you've come in here, you feel lonely, you've been here a year, you've been here two years, and you're like, God, I'm just, I just not making some connections. Then take the first step. You be the one that decides, I'm not going to be alone. I refuse to be alone anymore. From now on, I'm going to walk up and I'm going to meet people, I'm going to shake their hand, and I'm going to see what happens. So make new friends, try new things, join a serve team, but introduce yourself to somebody. Don't just run out the door and do church. Refuse to be a consumer. Get involved, give, serve, and grow, and invite somebody into your house to lunch, even if you have to go down to the quick stop and get it. Let's get back to being hospitable by inviting people into our homes. And finally, refuse to stop growing. I haven't arrived. I don't have everything that God wants for me yet. I don't. I want everything that God wants for me so that I can do everything that God is asking of me, not just so I can have everything that I want. Because I know that I have a part in the kingdom of God, and it's not always standing on this stage. I have a part that says lead people to Jesus. So get in a small group, lead a group, pray out loud when somebody says, will you pray for me? Stop them right there and say, yes, can I pray for you out loud right now? Put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them on the spot and begin to watch what happens to your relationship to Jesus. And then finally, read your Bible on purpose. Don't read your Bible to get through the five minutes so you can check off that you read your Bible. Get back to reading your Bible. Don't come to me and say, Pastor Joe, I listened to it on the thing. (laughs) 
Don't say that to me. Instead, say, I open it up and I look at it. And I read the words so they get in my eyes, in my heart, in my ears. If you want to read out loud, sometimes I read out loud. Do it. I'm not saying don't listen to it on podcasts and you know things while you're driving. I'm seeing, be, saying be a little more intentional of that because God is sowing things into your life so that you are ready to do what he wants you to do. And here's the deal, because I believe this. The Lord God is on the move. I believe that there's a quickening going on, if I can say that. Something's happening spiritually as I interact with people in other churches and in other circumstances. They feel like God is doing something, but they're not sure what it is yet. Well, the only way we're going to get ready is to live ready. And we're going to have to notice that there's a battle going on, and it's time for us to refuse to be a part of the world. We can't be that entrenched in it. Let's pray. Father, who is God, we thank you and we praise you for this morning. We thank you for Nehemiah's example. We thank you that we can look at this God and we can stop and say, what does that mean for us a couple of thousand years later? As we come before you right now, God, I hear these things and I believe them with all of my heart as I write them down and I still want to listen. God, I know that in my life you have shown me that I should not ask for bigger things than I'm willing to give to you. That all you want is my heart, but at times it's so little and at times it's just the biggest thing that I've got. So I just ask and pray that you would hear me lift up my heart and lift up these people. God, I ask and pray and I just release forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ over this congregation, this audience, this second audience. As we, as we wallow in this forgiveness, God, let us understand it so that we can get up and continue to be about the business of our Father, wherever it might be, and that we might find joy in it and be excited about it. And then, God, I pray that you would affect us and infect us as you're moving, Holy Spirit, in the, the voices of people that I hear around us. I just ask and pray that you continue to do it here. Let it even be bigger. Give us a passion for 89% of the people that won't get out of bed and come to church. Give us that hunger that says, I can't stay home. I need to be with the gathered body in the presence of God who inhabits their praises. Let that be who we are in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to feet. We're going to sing this song. As we're singing this song, this is our prayer team. And our prayer team is up here because I know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. I know that because I know him. And I just want you to know that these people want to pray for you. And it doesn't have to be because you stabbed somebody and nobody knows it yet. It can be just something going on in your life that you're like, Joe, I want some of what you're talking about. Or I am being attacked and I can feel the enemy coming from everywhere. And I don't want to go home until these people pray a covering over me. Like from Ephesians chapter 6. And we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. So while we're singing this song, you just come up here and I promise there will be enough people because more people will show up if necessary.